Heavenly Father, I have very little to say of meaning, but uh, I pray by your grace that your word would speak and be active among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, and there are a lot of good options today, so I appreciate y'all coming. Um, It's a nice problem to have, actually, um, when you can look in the bulletin and see that there are a lot of good good things to go go listen to. Um, Title of the class is Let Down and Hanging Around. Um, Anybody know where that title's from, Chance? No? Okay. Next week. Go home and, go home and Google it. Um, and if you, if you know, uh, bring, it, bring it back. Um, title's pretty self-descriptive. Um, you know, um, on, on the fast track to becoming a professional Debbie Downer, uh, I wanted to, to kind of do something that um, kind of looked at the idea of, of, kind of kind of what it meant to be in a rut, to sort of be in um, kind of a holding pattern where maybe... Nothing major was wrong, but it just you know, kind of felt like they were kind of stuck in the mud a little bit. Um, and so um, kind of wanted to wrestle with that a little bit and um, just kind of play around with that. Um, I, think, I think, you know, most of us live, live our lives day to day doing well enough, but, uh, you know, something little can happen. Um, and and I'm gonna, I was going to show an example of that. I will have to talk about it instead. Um, I'll give you that story in a minute, but uh, it just it doesn't take much sometimes for us to realize, okay, we're you know I'm kind of stuck, and, and nothing nothing's terribly terribly wrong, but it's just enough to to kind of upset the apple cart a little bit, um, and so see see what the scripture had to say about that, and, and what um, and how those two things kind of kind of played around with each other. So um, just as a background. Um, I think I'll probably for the next two, you know, uh, not this week, but the, the two weeks following, I'm doing this for three weeks, probably kind of stick with that theme. I'll leave it open to kind of to, to run in a different different area. Um, and my, um, my my standard rule is if there's there's any direction anybody here wants to take it, feel, feel free. Um, so if you have a question or a comment, by all means, jump in and, and redirect things. Uh, the scripture I want to use today, and I, I didn't hand out Bibles, but to be honest, I mean, if you want to grab one, you can, but if you don't have one, that's okay. Um, if you got one on your phone, then you've already got it. I did have one on my phone, and then um, my son went um, two months of soccer practice, of not participating in soccer practice, not playing in games, and then the, the final game, he decided to play the whole game, and so I had to delete a bunch of stuff off my phone so I could take pictures, <laughs> and um, the, the Bible <laughs> was, was one of them. Um, well, I don't have a lot. Of, I actually don't have a lot of apps, so you can't delete songs. Um, and so I just deleting apps, and I'll, I've actually forgotten to reload it. But I really, really do like having a Bible on my phone, which is nice. Um, the problem is that everything else is on my phone too. So when I should be looking at a Bible, it's like, oh, let's just check my email while I'm at it. Um, so that you know, technology is is a blessing and a curse. But um, a kind of a familiar passage uh, I want to look at here is Second uh, Corinthians four. Um, I'll read the first 12 verses. It's the NIV. Anybody in Mark Genelette's class last week about the different translations? That was really, really fascinating stuff. Um, therefore, verse 1, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, deception nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is, is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 
For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ our Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And really the money passage is the next, uh, next five verses. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every sign, side, excuse me, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work, at, uh, at work in us, but life is at work in you. So um, that's what, what we're going kind to of, kind, of, kind of interact with. Well, to the, uh, to the TV that will remain silent for the next, uh, next little bit, um, kind of the backbone of this is, is um, I was going to kind of play around with the TV show Frasier a little bit. Um, a comment on that, I've kind of beat myself up a little bit for when I've taught classes in the past. Uh, relying way too much on um, audiovisual aids, um, but I also realized that I'm I'm not real good at exegesis of scripture, so that's okay. So we're just going to have to kind of let those two things play together, um, you know, by God's grace, be, get a little bit better at looking at the scripture. But at the same time, uh, if, if 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 that's not my wheelhouse today, then that's okay. Uh, I, I was going to show a clip from a Fraser episode that I don't actually own. I thought, well, I'll just rip that off YouTube, and sometime between Thursday night and last night, uh, somebody who works for NBC found that video on YouTube and had it removed, because I would swear it was there on Thursday night. It was not there last night when I went to rip it. Um, they obviously had it removed for the very reason that I wanted it there, because I was going to basically, um, and this is all being recorded, so that's awesome, um, you know, I guess illegally download it um, for non-commercial purposes, so I don't see what the problem is. Um, I mean, and, and, you know, if I can DVR Frasier reruns on Lifetime every morning, I don't see why I can't rip it off YouTube. It's true, by the way. Um, the only, I think, I think that's the only way it comes on TV anymore is on Lifetime from nine to, no, eight to eleven every morning. So if you're interested, <laughs> there you go. Well, I mean, that's that's probably ten percent of my DVR. Um, it's also on Amazon Prime and, and Netflix. Well, a little bit about this show, real quick. I'll tell you kind of why why I want to get into it. Um, uh, if you're obviously. Um, Frasier was a, a sitcom on NBC, went for 11 seasons, um, ended in, I think it was the same time that Friends ended, in um, spring of 2004, and it, uh, it ran 11, um, I think there were 11 consecutive seasons. You know, Friends took a break there when Matthew Perry was in rehab, um, and I don't think Frasier ever broke. Uh, I think it was 11, 11 straight years. Came on the, um, on the uh, back end of Cheers, um, Kelsey Grammer's character Frasier was uh, initially a recurring and a regular character on Cheers and was also a character in, uh, on Wings in the early 90s. Um, Kelsey Grammer was the only person to have won three Emmys for playing the same character on three different shows. So um, pretty familiar face. Um, you know, it's interesting because there's been such a shift in the way people watch TV. Uh, when I, talk, I was um, talking before, before a class started about teaching high school, when I taught high school, most of my students weren't familiar with it. Now granted, the show had been off the air a few years, but even in reruns, they'd kind of lost track of of things like that. It was really cute how they had all discovered friends, though. <laughs> it was really precious, um, 20 years after the fact. Uh, but um, they really thought it was great. But um, I mean, this is, you know, Kelsey Grammer for, for a long time, you know, one of the bigger names in television. Um, 
I think Frasier is an interesting show. I'll say this briefly. It was part of this magnificent run of sitcoms NBC had in the 90s. Must See TV, Frasier, Friends, Seinfeld, Mad About You, News Radio, Carolina in the City, Will and Grace. What else am I forgetting? Those are the big ones. Um, what's that? Yeah, those are the high points. Um, I, I, you know, some of those I was a little, you know, I didn't get to watch a, little, a lot of Mad About You. Um, would not have been appropriate when I was in seventh grade. Um, but you know, familiar with most of those shows. Wildly popular. I mean, these were these were kind of cultural events along with with ER, um, NBC, kind of you know, dominated TV at the time. Apparently, doesn't anymore. I, I learned um, ratings are terrible. Um, but um, at the time, I mean, this was you know, kind of a powerhouse program. Uh, I think Frasier is an interesting case because it, it's really to be a sitcom. It's kind of middlebrow. It's not lowbrow. Um, it's not uh, um, overly crude and vulgar. Um, and this is a show that was really audacious in the fact that its two main characters were intellectual snobs. Now they were total goobers. I mean, this is—they definitely had kind of a um, kind of a Jeeves and Wooster thing going on, where these 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 people who, by all rights, should. Um, kind of ruled the world, I mean, brilliant, rich, successful, and in every episode, Frazier and his brother Niles are stepping all over themselves and making absolute fools, um, very slapstick, um, getting into all sorts of trouble. But again, it's a really bold show because this is a show that would make, um, you know, would have entire plot lines based on you know, obscure um, poetry and classical music and French food and the sort of thing that, um, you know, even a day as, as, as um, you know, you, you, you wouldn't, a character like that today almost would be lampooned a lot more than these guys were. Because on one hand, they're, they're poked fun at because it's a sitcom. On the other hand, you're, you're supposed to take them seriously. I mean, these are the, the heroes of the show in a certain respect. So um, the show that got away with being um, touching without being sentimental or sappy. And, and so um, it, it has some, some pretty good staying power. There was a really good article um, somebody sent me a not long ago, I'll, I'll, I'll mention it next week too, that they talked about how the show, because of its seriousness, has managed to avoid nostalgia. Um, people watch Friends because they yearn for what it was like to, when they were 23 and broke and all they had were their friends. Uh, but this show was, was serious enough, it was funny that people can still laugh at it, but it was serious enough that, um, that um, it's managed to avoid kind of getting stuck in a particular phase of nostalgia. Uh, which is, which I think is really interesting. I mean, um, we still go back and watch Friends just, you know, for fun sometimes. But it's, you know, it, it does take on a different perspective when you're married and you're not kind of living in those circumstances. So it's, um, it's interesting that Frasier has kind of floated above that. And it, I think it's also interesting, and I'll let it go here, that nobody makes shows like that anymore. Um, I think sitcoms have either split to where they're really ironic and cynical, like most of the NBC sitcoms, like The Office or Community. Incidentally, those shows have terrible ratings or the shows that get really, really great ratings, which I've not watched. I'm told they're funny, like the CBS sitcoms. I don't know anything about them. Um, the high school students I taught love them, but I, I get the feeling that they're pretty lowbrow, um, um, kind of, you know, not vulgar. I mean, they come on network TV, but, you know, a little bit more kind of in the gutter in terms of humor. So it's, it's interesting that there, there was a time when what was, what was most popular in American culture was kind of the middle of that. Um, required a certain degree of, of thought on the part of the viewer, but it was still still humorous. It's an, it's an interesting balancing act. So, and the show's funny. I mean, it you know, makes you laugh. Um, from a Christian perspective, um, I think you can look at these characters and you see real people. And so, um, again, this is the, the uh, suspension of disbelief is, is um, not as necessary in watching the show. 
um, you can watch these and think, okay, these these on some, you know, whether it's uh, Fraser and his brother Niles, whether it's uh, their dad who, who lives with Fraser, who's a a, um, a police detective who got an injury and had to retire, uh, or some of the other characters. You can look at these folks. You think, you know, yeah, for the most part, these are real people. You could envision knowing these people in some context, uh, or if you came across them, it wouldn't seem it wouldn't seem weird. So um, that's kind of background on the show. Um, the episode I was going to show you, which can't, um, is an episode entitled Death and the Dog. It's from the fourth season of Frasier. And the backstory here was that um, Frasier and Niles' father, Martin, has a Jack Russell Terrier um, that, uh, that, that lives there in the house that Frasier has kind of a contentious relationship with. Um, he's not a, not, a, not a pet lover. And Eddie, the dog, is depressed in this episode. And they can't figure out why. They're worried, they're worried he's sick. Something's wrong with him. They take him to the vet. Nothing, is, nothing is, is wrong. And all he does is mope about the house all day. He just kind of lays around. He doesn't play with anything. He doesn't get excited going to walk or go to the dog park. Uh, he's just, just kind of kind of mopes around. And so, uh, there, you know, his, Martin is very worried that his pet has something wrong with him. Frazier becomes worried for his dad's sake. He doesn't really care about the dog, but he's worried about his dad. Uh, and, they, and at some point, they bring in a pet psychiatrist. And uh, the psychiatrist um, surmises that Eddie is depressed because he picked it up from one of the humans, which uh, leads to this extended conversation, kind of the closing scene uh, of the episode, where the... the um, the five main characters, Fraser and Niles, Martin, Daphne, who is Martin's physical therapist, and the housekeeper for Fraser and Martin, and Fraser's producer, Roz, uh, the producer of his radio show, um, all had this conversation about how that can't possibly be true, that none of them are depressed. And then as they continue to talk, they begin to point fingers at one another, explaining, well, you're depressed because of this reason. And everybody realizes why they are, in fact, depressed. And so... Um, uh, I found this Frasier fan site that has a transcript, uh, a transcript of every episode. <laughs> so um, I will read selective passages now um, and, and just kind of let, kind of deal with this. This is, this is just really, really low rent on my part. I'm really sorry. Um, this is what I get for, for assuming that something is going to, you know, be up and free on the Internet at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night. Um, but there are just a couple of good one-liners. Um, everybody kind of goes back and forth and just kind of discusses, well, this can't possibly be true. And then Frazier, Donaldson Frazier says, but dad, if anybody's giving off unhappiness, I'm afraid it's you. And his dad gets offensive and said, yeah, me? He said, yeah. And, and Martin responds, you're the one who hasn't had a date in a year, not to mention two failed marriages. And Frazier says, well, and yet you did mention them. Well, maybe I am, maybe I'm not entirely happy. Why should I be? My son lives across the country. There's no woman in my life. Maybe all this is making Eddie sad. And then they go on to talk about who else is sad. Um, uh, his producer Ross says, "Now that I think about, what do I have to be happy? What, now that I think about it, rather, what do I have to be happy about? I mean, I know it has nothing to do with Eddie, but maybe Fraser picked up something from contact with me." And they, again, there's this kind of back and forth banter, and a good line from Fraser: "How loosely woven is the fabric of our unhappiness? A tug or two, and it unravels to reveal how empty our everyday lives really are." And his brother Niles, and then there are the empty nights, accompanied by thoughts of loneliness and death. And the, their, their dad says, you think about that too? I thought it was just me. Frazier, everybody thinks about it. Martin replies, do you lie, lie real still and hold your breath and pretend you're in the ground? <laughs> Frazier, no, that's just you. <laughs> and they kind of, again, they, they go around about it. Um, Frazier quotes T.S. Eliot, I've seen the eternal footman hold my coat and snicker. And then Niles quotes, Plato, must not all things at the last be swallowed up in death? 
And right about that time, Eddie, um, or Frazier, feels around behind him on the couch, and he pulls out a Barbie doll, and uh, realizes he's been sitting on it, throws it on the floor, just kind of absentmindedly, and then Eddie, Eddie comes and discovers that his doll has been found, and his happiness resumes. <laughs> so, um, and that's kind of the catch. They realize, well, that's all he was upset about. And then th- th- they're all depressed, and right about that time, um, somebody quotes Hemingway about, um, was it Hemingway? Hemingway wrote the book, what poet made the line about the bell tolling? Dunn. That's it, yeah. Quote, quotes Dunn, says, you know, ask not for whom the bell tolls, and right about then the timer on the oven goes off. <laughs> and everybody kind of wants that. There are cookies, and everybody <laughs> literally skips, if you watch the episode, literally skips off to the kitchen to eat cookies. Um, and it's an interesting juxtaposition about how quickly they were depressed and how quickly they were they bounced right back up. Um, you could, I think you'd have a, a long and I, what I would find interesting discussion, are the cookies really a source of happiness? I mean, potentially, maybe so. If, you, um, if you've seen Babbitt's Feast, the, uh, the, the great um, Danish, Danish movie about food, it won, a, it won an Oscar, um, so it's not that rare. Um, great movie about food. You, you, know, you can make an argument that there's some little sort of sense of transcendent beauty that, that God has ordained uh, in food. On the other hand, just cookies, I don't know. Um, so yeah, so I did that. We didn't watch TV. Um, but so I, I think I think you know I remember watching that the first time, uh, and, and just I'm sure I'd seen it before, but kind of watching it and just paying attention and realizing that's an easy that's an easy road to go down. Um, you know, you're it's two thirty. You're sitting at your desk at the office. You know, you don't really want to work. Lunch is kind of settling in. You're getting sleepy. You don't need any more coffee. Phone's not ringing, and all of a sudden, you're like, this, this, this is it. You know, and it's really easy to kind of have a have that moment of, you know, this is all there is. Um, and and so you you know you two two levels there. On one hand, there's that that notion of kind of finding God in the mundane. Gil talked about that in his class a couple of weeks ago, and he's recommended a book there in the bookstore. In fact, called God of the Mundane. I saw that that's in his kind of summer recommendation for for. For, uh, for beach reading. Um, there's that. Um, that was kind of, I'll, I'll let Gil kind of get into that in some of his classes, which you could um, download on the, on the website. Um, on the other hand, I mean, there, there is that self-evaluation um, where you say, well, you know, um, you know in, in the, sen- the, the characters on the show are all single, so they're all immediately referring to their love life. Um, but, um, you know, in other episodes, they do talk about their careers. Is this really, you know, is this really what I want? Is this all there is? A constant issue for Frazier. He is this local radio celebrity, and so on one hand, his ego is tremendously boosted by that. On the other hand, he's no longer, in his mind, he's no longer a real psychiatrist. He's a radio talk show host. And so he's got this conflict of like, yeah, is, this, is this really what I want? Is this going to help me accomplish anything? Um, and so, you know, I, I, that, that's just an easy place to be. Um, and I think, you know, I, I want to be fair, because I do think most days, most people, are, are serious about their family and their work and their obligations to community. And so we're busy taking care of all of this, that, that business. So I don't want to in any way suggest that we're all just kind of walking around in a fog, like on the Matrix or something. Um, I, I don't think that's really where most people live. Um, but I do think, um, as with that line, there you know one or two little tugs and um, we, can, we can either kind of get lost in what is either self-pity or a legitimate unhappiness and, and maybe on a low level, maybe on a much deeper level. Well, going back to, to that verse and the, the, the series of verses in Second Corinthians, you know, I'd always understood Paul's discussion of being, um, in his words or in the NIV's translation, as being 
you know, hard-pressed but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. Um, what's the, what, what's the, what, what context comes to mind there? In what context, in what context do you think he's speaking? Yeah, shipwrecks and imprisonment. Yeah, those are the two that I'll you know always immediately think of. Is that he's talking about um, you know uh, legit persecution. You know, he's got the law on his tail in a certain sense. Um, he's hoping he's in a friendly town. Otherwise, he's kind of kind of running around on the lamb. Uh, and the other is these these serious travel issues where he's being shipwrecked. They're worried about you know bandits and robbers you know on the way. We we watched an episode of one of Anthony Bourdain shows the other night where. Um, their, their car actually breaks down, excuse me, um, he and a, a fellow chef are driving through France and their car actually breaks down on the side of a busy highway and um, I, was, I was reading about the episode later and said, you know, this was, this was real, this actually happened. And so and these are things, you know, things, things we deal with. Um, but think about that in terms for Paul, to me it was always really easy to, cross my arms, it was really easy to think, well that's all he's talking about. So. He's talking about what it means to be persecuted, so you know, horse-whipped in the town square, or to be shipwrecked in the Mediterranean. So that's what he's talking about. And so I need to find some other verse that, that deals with me. I don't think that works. I don't think that works. On one hand, I don't think we can lose sight of that. Not that Paul's playing a game of my problems are worse than your problems. Uh, do you remember the, the, we didn't watch Glee, but for like two or three episodes, because it got really, really boring. But the first episode, I remember Jane Lynch is, is yelling at some girls, maybe in gym class, and somebody's complaining about some exercise, and she's got a megaphone. She said, you think that's hard, try being waterboarded? Um, that was always kind of stuck in my mind. And, you know, I think it's really easy to play that game, even on spiritual levels. Like, well, you think you're dealing with something, you know, Paul, dot, 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 dot. Um, and every now and then you'll meet a really cruel preacher and be like, well, you know, you know what your problem is. It's not as bad as what Jesus went through. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> He's Jesus. Um, I'm not. Um, so I, you know, I don't. You don't want to play that game. I, you, on the other hand, you don't want to lose sight. Yeah, Paul is talking about some specific situations. But you know what? If that's the only meaning of that verse, then honestly, I, I don't know that the, the the Lord would have saw fit to put it there. Um, and in fact, it was, I, it was it was refreshing because I was I was a little worried about that. Frankly, that it was just me kind of being whiny and self-indulgent, looking for scripture to kind of back me up on that. But no, I got a bunch of good commentaries, and sure enough, that's what the commentator says. Like, no, I mean, he's he's talking about um, legitimate things that Christians have to deal with. He's talking about, yeah, he, he may be talking about persecution. He may be talking about the difficulties of ministry. I mean, Paul writes about that a little bit. I mean, that's why my pastors, you know, so often love Paul is because, you know, they feel there's a bit, and, and rightly so, I mean, there's a particular kind of stress that goes with preaching the gospel, you know, for a living. But on the other hand, I mean, the rest of us live life, too. And, and that, that hard press on every side, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, Roman soldiers on one hand and Jewish authorities on the other coming at you. It, it may also mean, you know, your bank account and your boss and, you know, soccer practice or, you know, got to cook dinner or got to cut the grass, which I always put off. And, you know, it, it, it's all of that. It's all of that, too. And so, you know, what, what then? You know, in the middle of... Uh, of, of a pretty mundane existence, and in the middle of, of doubt and frustration that things aren't the way you thought they would be, that things didn't turn out the way you thought they were, uh, the thought you thought they would, or things are going swimmingly until this happened, then what? You know, what, what do you have then? Um, 
And I think Paul tells you what you have then on the front end when he says we have this treasure in jars of clay um, that we ourselves are, are, are those jars of clay and that, and then again, one thing you'll see a lot of commentators say is that those jars of clay are essentially worthless. Now, he's not getting into some kind of Gnosticism where the body's worthless and that sort of thing, but that we ourselves, this is, this is going to end, but that what we have in Christ is, is permanent. That is a treasure, and that is not, that is not changing. And that, uh, that, is, that is our ultimate hope in the resurrection. Um, I, I read, read one great line that we might be at our wit's end uh, through the course of life, but we're not at our hope's end. Uh, that the, the promise we have is that, um, that, that, this, this is, that there is more than what we're dealing with on the day-to-day. And that because of that, the day-to-day itself takes on greater significance in your meaning. Uh, the, the best line I've seen in, just in, in doing this, I was telling uh, Gil Cracky earlier, this is one of the first times I've taught a class where I felt like I actually learned something in the process. Uh, as much as I felt you know, woefully unprepared last night when, when YouTube let me down, it was, it was comforting to know that, that in, in studying the scripture there was, there was more to see. Um, and again, looking at these descriptions, um, and I think you, you could apply this on all cases, you know, hard pressed on every side where you're, you're kind of hemmed in, um, perplexed, again, confused, um, persecuted, struck down. Again, I think there's, there's a picture there in all four of those, those um, examples Paul gives of being boxed in, of being kind of held in and reined in, but that, um, and I'm borrowing heavily from, from William Barclay's commentary on, on both letters to, Corinthians, to the Corinthians, despite being boxed in, that Christ becomes our spaciousness. And again, that's, that's, a, that's a, um, an, an allegory or a metaphor there that I've never run across before, but I think that's just really, really brilliant, that, that Jesus is our spaciousness, that, that um, we talk a lot about Christian freedom. I think that's a terribly important and, and, and an important thing to say but that we're not only free in Christ to kind of live as, you know, live as, as he's called us to live or live as we even want to live in certain respects, but we're free in the sense that we are not bound by circumstance, uh, however difficult and painful the circumstances may be, or however just repetitive and annoying the circumstances may be. And that's probably where most of us are most of the time, you know, waiting in line at Target or Publix or whatever. Um, or the Publix, I mean, it's not as bad as waiting in line at Walmart or, you know, what have you. Um, but if you find yourself at Walmart, you know, Jesus is there too. And, um, and you know, Lori and I were talking about this last night. I think it's so easy to talk about that and to kind of fall into some sort of kind of Hallmark Christianity. Except it's true. I mean, it's really, really true. We know that from the witness of Christians for 2,000 years, uh, especially people who maybe have gone to jail for their faith, um, you know, religious dissidents in, you know, in China or Russia, um, you know, people who, who have been persecuted, um, people who were you know, missionaries who were kind of alone out on the mission field, you know, frontier pastors in America when you had, you know, a traveling circuit of churches, but you didn't really get to see anybody all day long. And then, you know, suburban Christians who get really bored with, you know, with their lives sometimes, but then, you know, in the, in the scripture, in the word of God, in the fellowship of believers, in, in the, the word proclaimed to us on Sundays and the sacraments, there is openness and there is this huge revelation of the glory and vastness of God um, that is revealed in his death, his resurrection, his ascension, as, as Joe preached on so well today. I was a little bummed out I didn't get to sing the final song today. It's one of my favorites. Uh, but and that, that, I'm going to kind of throw that out. Um, 
Any thoughts? Well, I think it's real interesting uh, what you said because you tend to read this and you think, oh, you know, I haven't experienced these things. So you write it off. Yeah. And it doesn't apply to me at all. Yeah. And I, I really haven't thought about how to do that. No, I, I didn't either. It, it, it's certainly not with those verses. It's certainly not with that passage. And again, you don't want to lose sight of the fact of, of Paul's context. But if that's all it means, then again, you know, you know, unless I end up as a missionary in some, you know, in Sudan, you know, you know, running away from somebody who's going to do bad things to me, then that verse loses its meaning. And you know, surely the Holy Spirit has the foresight that, to, to ensure that the that the scripture was meaningful, again, even to, you know, there, I think there's a certain guilt complex in certain Christianity nowadays for kind of living in the West. Like, you know, you, know you, you ought to feel guilty for being kind of a comfortable Western Christian living in America and with your car and your iPhone, but I don't know. Life can be difficult there, too. Um, you know, it's not, you know, it's not all, you know, champagne and roses. Didn't Paul in, in Philippians say he went through a recitation similar type things he had been through in writing in prison mm-hmm. and he concluded with that recitation of all the horrible things that happened to him he concluded that he was learning the secret of being content whatever the circumstances Right. and I've always been puzzled by that you know, the use that it was a secret it was a, not apparent there was something that was given to him he, he learned something in, those, in that context that helped him transfer from one thing to another mm-hmm. and, which was contempt Right. Not yeah. Relief, not necessarily relief. Right. And that's a contentment that comes only through through knowing the risen Jesus. And if, for me, and I'll just I'll just kind of you know be self indulgent just for a minute. I mean, I I think it's really easy to kind of brush past all these little one liners on on this very topic, whether it's Paul's words there, or whether it's in Philippians, when he says, you know, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and you know, um, you know, I've, I've always wanted to just kind of throw that verse out the water because, you know, you know, football players say that all the time, and, and I love football, but only one guy wins the Heisman. You know, there's there's only, you know, only only 52 guys win the Super Bowl every year, and so no, you can't do all those things, but there's a lot more than that. You know, there's there's all this other stuff, and and so. You know, that guy who didn't win the husband, well, he, he can still be a good father. He can still put up with, you know, when his, you know, when he tears his ACL and has to sit out the rest of the season. And when he, when all this other stuff happens, he can still do those things. And, um, and that contentment that Paul talks about is, is I mean, it, it almost feels, it does, it feels like a secret because, um, you can say all those all those great things, which are you know whether they're you know isolated verses of scripture or they're kind of one-liners that kind of get filtered through the culture. You can say those things, and and they can man they can just bounce off you like water off a brick. But at some point, you can turn that corner, and it's all you know that's it's all a work of the Holy Spirit. But you, you turn that corner, where all of a sudden you, you would say, yep, that's that's 100 percent true, and and you don't know why, um, other than just saying, well, because because God said it's true, and. And if for no other reason, I have to have to go with that, and and that's going to prove itself to be to be the case. So, anything else? We got a few minutes. I love the uh, you know all the pastoral metaphors and the, well, the Old and New Testaments, but New Testament maybe in particular the 
Right. It's okay to be a branch. He's divine with a branch. A branch is pretty mundane. It's, it's sometimes it flowers, sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it leaves wither, right. sometimes it comes back. It's just sort of a. There's so many cycles to the Christian life, and I, I, I love those pastoral metaphors that really sort of boil down to us being sort of soil. Right. You know? and, that, and that's okay. Yeah. Sometimes it's more fun than others, but. Um, right. Yeah. Well, I mentioned the the um, the book that Gill had mentioned, the God of the Mundane, and the, the author of that lives here in Birmingham. A guy named Matthew Redmond, and um, he's got a website, um, it's kind of a personal blog, and and one of his his things he's hit on a, a little bit. And he's a, he's a former PCA pastor. Uh, is he's, he's talked about um, the aggressive push, especially in, in evangel- reformed evangelical circles, which I think Advent kind of loosely is, is kind of in that umbrella, the push towards towards mission work, whether it's overseas or kind of domestically, maybe kind of revitalizing a neighborhood or this, that, and the other, all the things which are really good. He said, you know, for as much as, as that's a worthy push, on the other hand, Paul doesn't really tell you to do that stuff. I mean, you've got the Great Commission, um, but Paul doesn't have any extended discourses on why you should close down your carpentry business in, in Corinth. And go be a missionary. He didn't say that at all. Um, and in fact, most of what Paul writes about, most of the words of the New Testament are just hitting believers right where they are. I mean, there are some you know behavioral modifications. Um, and it's a bad word, but some behavioral modifications that Paul offers, and maybe in terms of your occupation, you know, first chapter of Romans comes to mind. But by and large, you know, be a tent maker, right. be a banker. Um, I mentioned T.S. Eliot. I think he's a fun example of that. Um, uh, that was a good example for me as a student when I was in, in school, and I, I came real close to finishing out that English degree um, to go along with my other worthless degrees. And um, what's one more? And uh, but the great thing about about somebody like T. S. Eliot was, he, you know, he was a banker. I mean, he was this brilliant poet and and playwright and critic. He worked in a bank. Now he worked in a nice bank. I think he worked at Lloyd's. I mean, you know, in London. I mean, this is, it's not like he's just you know hammering it out down at Wells Fargo, which that's fine too. I mean, there's, there is, there's, there's glory in that in, in, you know, when the Lord is with it, but he didn't, you know, he wasn't this, this wild eyed poet, you know, he didn't die tragically on a beach like, uh, like, um, was it Shelley or Byron who died invading Italy? One of them, the other died of syphilis. So yeah, I think that, both, yeah, I think Byron died of syphilis and Shelley died shipwrecked in part of like some Italian revolution, but you don't have to do that, you know? Um, and it, it, you know, that, that's something that um, where I'm at right now that I've seen um, do some really good churchy talk. But it, it, it's nice. I mean, it's, it's real comfort to see that, that, um, that there is tremendous hope and, and that you can, uh, can experience. Again, I love that phrase, that spaciousness of God uh, in the middle of what otherwise would feel like really constricting and, and, and oppressive circumstances. Not oppressive necessarily in the kind of political context, but just on the day-to-day, just, you know, and that's going to happen, and, and we've got the Christian freedom to be a little, you know, roll our eyes and be bummed out, uh, which is which is also in its own sense liberating, you know, to know that that is, you know, you can kind of let that go and then kind of pick up and move on um, with with the day to day is is just tremendously, tremendously important. Um, and so maybe when we hear the the you know the bell toll and we go off to chase cookies, maybe that is the gift of God, to 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 find joy, to find His presence in. Um, First and foremost, in in the risen Christ, but maybe second, you know, on a secondary level, and in, in the the numerous blessings He's given us um, 
So. When Jesus heals people, he often tells them to go home. Yeah. That's a good point. I don't thought of that either. Yeah. It's kind of get get back to living your life, not. Now that I've done this for you, right. now that I've scratched your back, you know, I've got a little itch back here and I need you to take care of that for me. Not that there's anything wrong with doing those things, but yeah, I mean, that's not the direct, you know, there's not a direct, um, directly compelling message there to do to do that. Even the, the sort of, the, what I think historically the church is understood as being the means of grace, right? The, mm-hmm. the sacraments. I mean, those are, those are mundane, but in the sort of larger evangelical world, I mean, I remember in the church growing up, where I grew up, we had, I think, communion at night and like quarter. Right. When there would be yeah. like 20 people there. Yeah. And, and there's so much emphasis on sort of culture, you know, renewing the culture for Christ and, and that we lose sight of, of the actual means that Christ has given us to, right. to experience him. Right. And I'm, I'm thankful for that here, that that's not uh, as... Right. Yeah, no, and, and and I thought and I didn't get to hear all of Joe's sermon this morning, but I thought he hit on that pretty pretty well. That, um, yeah, I mean, you know, just in terms of just basic, um, almost like basic mathematics, that's where most of us are going to end up anyway. Um, but maybe that's ordained on purpose. I mean, that's that's the way it is supposed to be, um, and that um, you know, we were given those means of grace to to sustain us in a certain context. You know, as we go along the way, and then because what what inevitably happens, maybe again, maybe it's just a you know a dollar ten cents thing. Not everybody can can you know do you know can can serve the Lord for a paycheck. Um, and at some point, you're going to have to go go work, you know, just go go get a job. And if and without a, a clear understanding that God is right there in the middle of that, then that realization can be itself um, you know earth shattering and not in a good way. But when you when you understand the, the, the openness and the glory of God, um, and the, the the fact that the resurrection provides a triumph over the mundane, then the mundane becomes something that's a lot more a lot more palatable. So. All right, y'all. Thanks for coming. Um, quick word of prayer, and then we'll be on our way. Lord, thank you that you are um, in all of your glory, that you are ever present in our lives, and that what uh, the very serious things that that seem to weigh us down and do weigh us down you are ultimately greater than them and that you work through them and beyond them to to bring us to the place that you have ordained. In Jesus' name, amen.